0: What's going on, gentlemen? Welcome to the Institute of Men podcast. My name is Keaton. I am the host of this podcast and the creator of this channel. And I started this podcast as the Man I Want to Be podcast, but we recently shortened the name, shortened the title, and the mission is the same. The mission is still to build, strengthen, and form all men, all Christian men, but still with the same question that my dad asked me, what kind of man do you want to be? I was 23, living in his basement, directionless, had no character none of that. And my dad asked me, what kind of man do you want to be? And I didn't know the answer to that question. I spent the next several years trying to answer that and then pursuing the vision that I had come up with for the rest of my life. And I'm still pursuing it to this day. And I want to do the same thing for you because I believe that we need to build and strengthen and form all Christian men who go on to build God's church, strengthen their families and their marriages, and form their children part. So I want to help you figure out what kind of man you want to be. I want to teach you as best I can and learn as best I can the morals and the virtues of the Christian life. That way you can stand firm. I want to help you figure out what you believe, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be really, really important so that you're not tossed to and fro by the ways of every wind of doctrine that comes its way. And you're not just repeating what the latest political commentator has said without giving thought to what you are saying. We are, we have to figure out what we believe and why, and we got to be rooted in it so that we can stand like Oaks, like stand firm and stand strong. That's what this channel is dedicated to. So if you want to participate in that, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and you'll be notified by anytime content comes out. If you just want to listen to this, you can listen to where all the podcasts are available. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of those. Or I write on Substack. The light, the links will all be down below. And if you already listened and you're like, "This sounds like no, not for me," that's fine. Just move on, and we will get down to work. That's totally fine with me. Um, I was tired of being a soft Christian man. So I even like after starting to pursue that vision, there was a time when I was a little bit hard hearted, and I swung the pendulum the other way and became where I almost had no convictions, didn't really know what I believe. I bought into the vagueness and the doubt and the, I don't know, it could be one of these. I bought into that really, really hard and some good mentors helped pull me out of that. And I have in the last couple of years come up with a, not come up with, I have received a strong conviction that you can be gentle, but you don't have to be soft and not know what you believe. Actually, you need to know what you believe in order to stand with what is true without being a jerk, to put it, you know, kind of nicely. I, I I don't want the Andrew Tates of the world taking what is true about masculinity, the strength and the vigor of life, and then perverting it to selfish ends. I just don't want that. I think it's wrong. There, You should be strong and bold and unafraid, and you should be a provider, and you should be a lot of things, but without perverting it to selfish ends. We'll talk about Andrew Tate a little bit later in this podcast, just a little bit. I don't want to spend too much time on him, but I was tired of being a soft, Christian man. And what it came down to is I didn't have any convictions. I didn't know what I believed and why, and I couldn't stand firm in what was true. I couldn't do it. And therefore, I was unable to participate in what is true and good and right. I couldn't do it. And I was what I would call a menace to society, which we're going to be talking about. That's that's what today's episode was about, a menace to society. I got that quote from Theodore Roosevelt, and he said this, to educate a man in mind and not in morals is to educate a menace to society. What does that mean? That means if you can do math but you don't know what's what's right you can't live by the ten commandments at even you have lie constantly you live selfishly. if you know how to you know map computer systems and security systems and you can calculate physics you're seeing the limits of what I know because I'm running out of things to say but you don't know the morals, you're a menace to society. I want to talk about that today. Before we get into that, though, I have a book recommendation for you about one of the greatest menaces to society, Karl Marx. This book, The Devil and Karl Marx, this was an enlightening read for me. I already knew quite a bit about Karl Marx and his disastrous ideas. I didn't realize how disastrous he was in his personal conduct and character. And this book looks takes a look at the life of Karl Marx, what he believed, his partner, uh something Ingalls, I forget who he lived off of. Karl Marx never actually earned a dollar in his life. He just lived off other people's money, his inheritance. Typical socialist communist jerk. But then also the dude was evil in his conduct, and then how did his ideas permeate society? And how did he try to take over? Not him personally. He did call for the abolition of the family and the abolition of the church and the abolition of private property. And there's some young 20 somethings today who've gone into into colleges and they think that's actually a really, really good idea. And they call it a Christian idea. And I'm gonna just say, no, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. But Marxists in the early 20th century, they took the ideas of Karl Marx, which a lot of them were capitalistic ideas, and they applied them to culture and created cultural Marxism or social Marxism, and they infiltrated universities, seminaries, and even to some extent, a lot of churches. They got into a lot of Protestant churches. They tried to get into the Catholic Church. They got definitely into the Episcopalian Church, maybe even a little bit of the Anglican, and spread their ideas. And on my Substack, stack, I, dic- I am on a deep dive into American Christianity. This book will be a part of it. Highly recommend reading this book. If you don't want to read it, I will eventually be writing a, not really a summary, but I'll be pulling some of the ideas and applying them to American Christianity later. So you can read about that. Link will be down below. But The Devil and Call Marks, Paul Kingore, definitely recommend reading this book or listening to it on Audible. It was an excellent listen on Audible, which is how I uh, do a lot of books. I will... If I think it's a book I want to read, but I'm not quite sure, I'll listen to it on Audible really, really fast, get a general idea of the book. And if it's like, ooh, that's definitely something I want to know, I buy the hard copy. You're like, that seems like a waste of money. It it might be, but I don't have a lot of hobbies, so just reading. Okay, Menace to Society. I had that quote by Theodore Roosevelt, to educate a man in mind but not in the morals is to educate a menace to society. And I think we've got a lot of that going on. It's been going on for a long time. You have some of the smartest people in the world, most educated people in the world, but they're incapable of doing right and anything good or right or true. And they don't even know, they can't even distinguish between good, right, and true and what's evil. Dallas Willard opens up his book, Divine Conspiracy, with the same thing. He says, we're flying upside down. You have people who can talk about what would be good but are incapable of doing it. And he uses the example of a philosophy student at Harvard University who got an A in moral philosophy but was constantly making fun of the cleaning lady and trying to seduce her to sleep with him in his dorm. So he gets an A in moral philosophy. He can talk about how things ought to be, but then he goes back and, and is asking this woman to sleep with him for money or whatever. And then if she doesn't, she he makes fun of her. Dude's incredibly immoral. And we have this entire separation happening right now. Those are menaces to society. And I'm afraid that you and me have participated in this not by our own will, but maybe even on accident and maybe in sometimes by our own will. So a menace I got there's also Paul Johnson, one of my favorite historians. Paul Kingor might replace him. Paul Johnson, though, has a book called Enemies of Society, and he details some of this in his book, Enemy, the book Enemies of Society. So he uses a different word, but I'm going to pull a little bit from there as well. There are the obvious menaces to society. There are those who, uh, you know, they commit crimes, they drink too much at bars and just sleep with too many women. They, you know, people, but mostly people who commit crimes, those are going to be people who are menaces to society. You can see them. You're like, ah, man, you are really, really doing not good things. But then there's also something that you and I participate in. And part of it I think is our fault. And part of it is not our fault. So I'm going to just, let me spell this out. Men, this is a minute. No, let me say this first. Let me say this. Modern culture has insisted that you and I become passive men who sit down and shut up. That's That has been the insistence. Let the ladies and the feminists handle it from here and the men who pretend that they're feminists because they don't have the cojones to stand up to a woman so those be bullied into submission and silence. What you are really doing is create by, they have, we've been bullied into that. It has been proclaimed and I'm willing to bet that you believe that you need to sit down and shut up and just let other people handle it. And that was a message you've probably heard since childhood. Kids are hearing it today, that if you are a man, it's bad. That's why Anthony Esselin wrote a book called No Apologies, Why Society Depends on the Strength of Men, and a I forget his name, a pastor in Ohio wrote a book called It's Good to Be a Man, and there's this, you know, Jordan Peterson is skyrocketing in popularity because he's proclaim. It's good to be a man. And it's good to be a man in the modern message that it wants you and I to sit down and shut up is actually creating an entire generation of men who are menaces to society, not by their own fault. They're just like, nobody is telling me that what is in me is good. And I'm here to tell you it's good. It's good. So with that in mind, with that in mind, I want to let me run through what I think a menace to society is, and then let's spell this out a little bit more and then figure out, like, hey, how can you and I not be a menace to society and actually be beacons of hope and truth and goodness? Okay, men who abdicate their responsibility primarily to, primarily to their family. That is a menace to society. We're going to cover that in a little bit more. I'm going to go in more detail on all of these, by the way. High minded idealists whose theories work on paper but do not make anything good to come pass into society, like this guy. Like this guy and many, many others that you can name of all the ESG people who think that you're doing good by f- scaring the crap out of a generation of young people who are now just barricading streets and not thinking about the poor. Only rich people can think about the climate. Literally only rich people can think about the climate. You're just putting in a burden on the poor, which is a majority of the world so that you can go live in your high mansions. Excuse me, but reading a book about ESG, That stuff's evil under the guise of something good. If you really cared about the climate, you'd walk and you'd use less, but they don't tend to do that. John Kerry, excuse me. I feel a little fired up (laughs) this morning, probably because I tried to record this video six times before it worked out. Men who refuse to tell the truth or stand for, stand for the truth, no matter the consequences, you're inevitably a menace to society. Men who do not fight for what is good, right, and true. You're a menace to society. Men who are self-absorbed, you're a menace to society. That's that's me. That's me. You know how many times I have abdicated my responsibility, um, most of my life. You know how many times I've been a high-minded idealist with perfect solutions for how everything should go. Uh, every time I record this podcast, you know how many times I've refused to tell the truth or to stand for the truth, no matter the consequences, because I didn't want to be—I didn't want there to be tension for a long time daily. Because you know what happens when you end up standing for the truth? People don't like it. Even people who want to stand for the truth, they'll, they'll stay from stage. Just stand for what is true, and as soon as you take a stand, they'll be like, nah, no, no, get down in the well. Just shut up. Stop that. Stop that. It's way easier to talk about how you should stand for the truth than to actually stand for the truth, because as soon as you stand for what is good, right, and true, when you stand for the truth, you are automatically an enemy, automatically. People don't like the truth. The truth confronts people all the time. It confronts me daily. People don't actually like it, even though it's a thing that will set them free. Uh, then the other one, men who are self-absor- self-absorbed. And again, I want to reiterate this. Modern culture has insisted that you do all of this. All of it. For 50 years, at least. 50 years. Beginning with the Great Society legislation back in the late 60s, early 70s, it was incentivized to women to not marry a man so they could collect checks off the government, and men started abdicating their responsibility, and now about one in four children grow up, grow up without a father. Stats we're going to look at in a second. With the Great Society also came uh, this 501c3. A lot of people will talk about the 501c3. I'm not sure how much uh, weight it actually gets, but I'll mention it. Came with the belief that churches, pastors, could not speak against uh, the American government no matter what, or they'd lose their nonprofit status. That's a, Whether or not that's uh, happened is a very interesting thing to consider. Uh, you have been told not to fight for what is good, right, and true, because how could you know you're a man? Well, you are a man. You're the natural defender of life, which is something we're going to talk about. You have been—you have received— messages your entire life that your natural strength, not just physical men are naturally stronger, but you have a more aggressive uh, internal disposition than women do. You're going to be naturally be more aggressive. You're naturally going to be uh, more of a fighter. You're natural. not every, and not every man is going to fit into that, but you're naturally going to be a warrior and a truth warrior. You're going to care about that. That's why men are, tend to be more involved in politics because they care about the ordering of society and they care about what is true. But you've been told your entire life to sit down and shut up. And that creates menaces to society. And actually, I think if you look at Exodus, if you want to control large groups of people, one thing you have to do is get rid of the men. You ever wondered, like in Exodus, why do they kill the male babies? If they wanted them enslaved, you would want the men to grow up so that they could do the hard work that was required by slavery, like building whatever they were building in Egypt, making the bricks, but they wanted to kill off the men because you can't, if when strong men rise up, slavery's gone. That's just true of everything. And so they have to, they got to get rid of the men. So every time somebody tries to get rid of men, you have to know they're probably up to no good and they're trying to enslave some people. Okay. Part of that is the message. And then part of it is our fault. We have to own it. We're not going to fall for Freudian psychology where we're a victim of everything that's ever come before us. We're not going to do that. (laughs) No, we can't explain away everything about our life because of our parents or this or that, and we're just a perfectly innocent child. No, eventually you and I, we're going to have to grow up and take some responsibility. And I think today is a good day to take some responsibility. So let's go through this. I'm going to say that the ultimate menace of society is the high-minded idealist whose theories work on paper but do not make anything good come to pass in society. They tell you what ought to be, but do not deal with people or life as it actually is. Karl Marx, climate change activists who are currently ruining art from Western civilization. Everything works on paper every time. It works perfectly on paper, but you are always forced on paper to get rid of reality. You're forced to get rid of human nature. You're forced to get rid of a lot of things. You you can't abolish private property because then you have to abolish human nature, and you can't do that. You can't force people to not heat their homes, to lower the global temperature by like 0.03 degrees Celsius. They're going to freeze to death. That's happening in Europe, by the way or there's the high-minded idealist who think it's the best thing possible to put our children into classrooms for 8 hours a day for at least 12 years and in some cases it gets earlier and earlier and earlier all the way down to 2 because every 2-year-old needs to be prepping for their Harvard score so they can get into an Ivy League school with half their credits done and then get a high-paying job or something like that. No. No. That is not going to that is a that is an idealistic view of the world. The primary job of of parents is to educate their children. Yes. Educate them in the morals. Excuse me. I got something in my eye, but the primary, the primary, we're not going to send our kids to school for 20 years so that they can be far away from our parents. That that sounds good on paper, but actually what it does is ruining children. Just look at, you know, the stats It's one of the many factors contributing to the, to the most stressed out generation in history. So no, we're not going to, high-minded idealists are the ultimate menaces to society. But then let's get into like you and me. Let's get into you and me and what you and I can actually do about it. Because every time you and I abdicate our responsibility as men, the world suffers. A guy named Matt Chandler, he's a pastor in Texas, big, awesome, awesome pastor, yells a lot. (laughs) I learned how to really read the Bible listening to Matt Chandler. And... He says, when men don't do what men are designed to do, the world falters. And that couldn't be more true. So the first point, the men, ultimate, the men who are menaces to society, you and me, and I don't want to be a menace to society, men who abdicate the responsibility primarily to their family become a menace to society. Listen to some of these stats from the U.S. Census Bureau. I found these on the website excuse me father absence statistics or excuse me fatherhood.org i found this website and it had all these statistics listen to this one in four children or 18.4 million children in the united states live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home one in four kids live with mom that's it I have done a podcast on this earlier, I'll link it down below, about what happens when dads aren't in the home with their kids. Here's some of the stats. Four times greater risk of poverty. Four times. Behavior problems and school dropouts are at a higher increase. Two times greater risk of infant mortality. You ha- Children need love more than they need food. They need love more than they need food. They need the strong embrace of their father. More likely to end up in prison, seven seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. And there are some other ones, I just didn't bother to put them in. Almost every mass shooter in history has been without a father in the home, whether that be their biological or an adoptive father. You have to have dads at home. And when men abdicate the responsibility to be in the home, everything suffers. And again, I'm going to point back to the Great Society legislation because you can track it on a graph that when and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't think people like plot out, ha, ha, ha let's get them. I think people unknowingly have good intentions with disastrous consequences and they need to be corrected. So I'm going to give Lyndon Johnson and the legislature at the time, the benefit of the doubt with a great society, even though I think they were wrong, I think they were trying to be helpful. And what they did is have a lot of unintended consequences. When you incentivize dads not being in the home, men, us in our passivity are like, great. I don't need to provide. I don't need to commit my life to this woman. The government will take care of her. I can go do whatever I want. And men do that in droves, in droves. And it's not good. And that legislation needs to be overturned. But you and I, we need to realize how important we are to our children and to our families as a rock of stabilization. It says in Proverbs that men, the fathers are the glory of their children. That means that like when the children sees you, they see they see glory. They that you're everything. I tell men all the time, for your family, you gotta be a rock. You gotta be like a boulder. You gotta be a rock. You can take a beating in a storm, you can provide shelter. When things are not going well, you can be a place of refuge and you can be like a firm rock that your, your family can stand upon. You gotta be a rock. You gotta be, a, you gotta be, a, those attributes you, are, you, 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 everybody needs them. They need them. It, men who abdicate the responsibility primarily to their family become menaces to society and that changes generations. Generations. Men who refuse to tell the truth or stand for the truth, no matter the consequences, they also become menaces to society. That's me. That's me. This is one I have failed the most often because I have, uh, or at least had, a strong fear of man that I felt was newly acquired, and I hope I'm rooting it out of myself because fear of man is a trap. You actually don't end up doing anything meaningful if you have a fear of man, and one of the reasons I'll just full confession didn't get on YouTube is because I didn't want to have to deal with the comment section and I didn't want to have to do the, put my face out there. I'd rather just hide behind the microphone, but you know, I've hopefully rooted a lot of that stuff out. Um, It wasn't always this way. I wasn't always, didn't always have a fear of man. I always didn't refuse to tell the truth actually at a point. Well, huh, I would stand for what was true publicly, but you know, I, I was a hypocrite, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was a hypocrite. Telling the truth is really, really hard because you forfeit the outcome of what happens. You and I lie. We tell little white lies because we want to control the outcome or we want to ease the tension. You've probably been in a situation where you tell the truth and it's just awkward and it's tense. And the temptation to say something just to get rid of the tension, just to ease it, even if you, especially if you don't believe it, you don't believe it, you don't plan on acting on it. Let's say you resign your job and you want to make a promise of like, I'll still be available even though nothing in you wants to be available. You're like, I'm moving on. I'm going to a different work, whatever. You end a relationship. You're like, we can still be friends. You're lying. You're trying to ease the tension because when you tell the truth, you forfeit the outcome and you get to see what happens. Truth is naturally confrontational. The truth naturally forces people to basically bowed to it to accept it or to flee from it, and it's really, really hard to tell the truth. That's why it's so easy for you and I to lie, because we have a false sense of control of what happens, and when you don't tell the truth, no matter the consequences, no matter the consequences, you become a menace to society. Now, I know the difference between holding my tongue for prudence and telling the truth. I know the difference. A lot of times, it's good, it is good to hold your tongue Being prudent, you can't just say whatever you're thinking at the moment and be like, "Well, I'm just being real" or "I'm just telling the truth" or whatever. No, use prudence, use wisdom. A lot of times, you're just saying stuff to talk, not because it's actually true. If you're telling the truth, it'll cost you something. That's a great way to know if if it—if it'll cost you something somewhere if you're telling the truth. But a lot of us, you know, um, we don't tell the truth because we don't want to tell—we don't want to stir the water. And so we just sit there wishing we had the courage and the cojones to say what we actually think and what we mean and what we really want, but we don't have it in us. And so we, we hold our tongue in, under the guise of prudence, you know, you're just, you're afraid. And we got to know, I was afraid. I'm telling you, these are, you know, I can talk about this stuff because I do this stuff. You have to tell the truth. Like we have to, for example, I have never wanted to publicly say something about the murder murdering of babies because I didn't want to have to deal with the pushback or the offense that comes I know people who have, who have murdered their babies and I'm using that phrase intentionally because if I use another word, it might get blocked and it's what it is. It's what it is. And I haven't wanted to say anything publicly because I don't want to offend somebody. That is a ridiculous thing. It is ridiculous to not stand up for life because you don't want to hurt somebody who did something that they should not have done. Yeah, like, is there forgiveness if you repent? Yeah, yeah, there is. You and I cannot 70 million babies in 50 years. And it's like, well, you're a man, so you, this isn't your fight. No, actually, it is exactly my fight. Women are the givers of life. Men are by nature the defenders of life. That's why they're more naturally aggressive. That's why they're physically stronger. That's why they have a heart to defend. Men, you and I are the defenders of life, and women cannot fight that battle on their own. You and I cannot be silent while while genocide is happening. You we can't. We can't. And I wouldn't say anything because I didn't want to offend somebody. So consider that my public statement of like, I'm on the side of life. I'm on I am. And it is wrong, and it has been wrong for me to remain silent while children have been murdered. And if you want to see what it's like, if you want to you know, really confront what you think about this particular subject, I go to Live Action, their Instagram page, and scroll through their content. And especially click on the content that says sensitive content. Click on it. Let the reality confront you. You can go to their website. They have a lot of resources. Live Action. The founder of Live Action is a strong Christian woman, like fierce, and she needs you and me to help protect life. So there's that. Men who do not fight for what is good, right, and true are also menaces to society. I got this great quote from Thucydides. He wrote The History of the Peloponnesian War. Fantastic read. Now, there are sections of it that are really confusing because I don't know much about the 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 geography of the area and and all the history of that period but there's these speeches in the history of the Peloponnesian War it's worth reading just for that go buy the book just read the speeches the speeches are incredible here's a quote from him it never occurs to any of them that the apathy of one will damage damage the interests of all instead each man thinks that the responsibility for its future belongs to someone else and so the whole and so The whole of everyone has—you know what? Let me just read this. Let me just start over on this quote from Thucydides. It never occurs to any of them that the apathy of one will damage the interest of all. Instead, each state or man—because he's talking about in the context of of a state, but I'm going to put man in there— each man thinks that the responsibility for the future of society belongs to someone else— and so while everybody has the same idea privately, no one notices that from a general point of view, things are going downhill. So you and I, if you're listening to this, if you have a conservative bent in your bone or if you're a Christian at all or if you just have a brain, you can look around and you're like, wow, things are going downhill quickly. And yet yeah, things have been going downhill for a long time and it just seems to accelerate it slippery slope hypothesis. And you and I, we're all sitting here knowing like it's not good and all we're doing, we're twiddling our thumbs or we think that our subscription to Daily Wire or whatever is enough, is, is, is us getting in the fight. And all we're doing is we're paying our subscription so we can consume their content and we'll let them take care of it. It never occurs to us that our apathy in that contributes. Now, how do you actually fight? What do men do to fight for what's good, right, and true? Well, you start by becoming a man of character, a man of virtue, a man who lives in uprightness and integrity. That's where you start. If you don't do those things and you go and shout into the streets, it's actually easier to shout in the streets and to talk about political commentary with your buddies than it actually is to change your life. It's way harder to change your life, to raise your kids well, to love your wife, to make sure your home is moral and virtuous and you guys are praying together. It's way harder to do that thing than it is to talk about free market economics, political theory, and all that other stuff with your buddies or to tweet about it. Tweet, tweet, tweet. All we're doing, we are that's apathy. That's apathy. You've subscribed to The Daily Wire. You subscribe to whatever you subscribe to you pay your fee, you consume your content, and you, you're making a difference. Now, do I think you should subscribe to The Daily Wire? Absolutely. I think you should just subscribe to The Daily Wire and then watch all their, have your kids watch their kids' content because it's going to be better than the other stuff, and you're going to get better news. You're just going to get better stuff. That's not all bleh. But we've got to be men of action, men of prayer, men of fortitude, men who actually get in the game and do something, and it starts with our home, and it goes from there. If you have kids, And that are school age, be involved in their school. Like get on the PTA association, and then if they're in public school, and then realize, oh, it's time for me to homeschool or something like that. Don't just abdicate the responsibility and push it on. Don't just assume somebody else is going to do this. Everybody needs to do their part. And you know what's so interesting about modern, just modern society, maybe even modern conservatism, especially? And I think it has to do with superhero movies we want we act like the avengers are just going to show up that a small group of really high powered people are just going to get up and they're going to fight the battles while we run and hide and that that's not going to happen the avengers are not going to show up the daily wire or anybody else you listen to isn't going to be able to solve everything they can't be the avengers it's not possible there america is too the world is too big we need we don't need heroes Per se, in that, in the Avengers kind of sense, we need William Wallace's, and then we need the people who can follow William Wallace. If you've ever seen Braveheart, William Wallace became an icon, but not people weren't just throwing money at him so he could go fight alone. They like got behind him, joined his army. You got to do something. We got to do something. Something. Just stand up and fight. So I, 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 myself do this frequently I like even just last night I I was having these weird dreams and I was saying like well what am I going to say that somebody else already hasn't said well Jordan Peterson has already said what I'm going to say and um you know there's plenty of other like there's like so many manhood podcasts like they've already they're already good there's a like what am I really going to do I should do something else plus I'm only 32 what do I really know I've got two kids they're all they're both under two like what am I okay but I got to do something I I got to do something. And you and I, we got to do something. Not everybody in the world listens to Jordan Peterson. Not everybody in the world listens to big time pastors. That's what, like, your local community is where it matters the most. Where it matters the most. We got to be there first. And then if there's a big platform, great, great. What do I mean? You can't expect, you can't be apathetic and hope the Avengers are going to show up. That's what I'm trying to say. You and I, we got to play our part. Last one, men who are self-absorbed. And this is the Andrew Tate category. Andrew Tate says a lot of stuff about masculinity and manhood that's true, but it's perverted towards selfish ends. And it's disgusting. And it's damaging an entire generation. And he is one of the most popular figures in modern society. And he's taking what is true, perverting it so that it's not good anymore. And it needs to be true and good. Those two have to go together. Well, good, right, and true. It needs to be righteous. It needs to be good. It needs to be fruitful. To be like, And so you and I have an obligation to not be self-absorbed and to openly combat that thing. Do I have a platform like Andrew Tate? Not even close. You can look at the numbers. No. But anytime I talk about, meet somebody who is talking about Andrew Tate, I'm going to say, yeah, what he says, a lot of what he says is true, but it's perverted towards selfish ends. And men who are self-absorbed are menaces to society. Men who take the strengths of masculinity and offer them to other people are true men. Live self-sacrificially, who do things for the benefit of others, not for ourselves, not for selfish gain. That's how you combat the self-absorption. So, yeah, you know what? He says things that are true but he turns, he perverts them towards selfish ends. And so you need to reclaim what is true and make it life-giving and self-sacrificing for the benefit of others because that's what it really means to be a Christian man. I want to become a man who takes full responsibility for everything entrusted to him. I want to be a man who tells the truth no matter the consequences. I want to be like men who fight for what's good, right, and true, and I want us to be men who are self-giving, not self-absorbed. I don't want to be a menace to society. And I'm not going to buy into the lie anymore that the best thing I can do is sit down and shut up. I'm just not going to do that. I don't think you should either. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man I Want to Be podcast. If you liked what you heard, please hit the subscribe button wherever you listened. If it's on YouTube, hit it on YouTube. If it's on Spotify, hit it on Spotify. Please consider sharing it with a friend or five or 10 because that helps us get the word out. And until next time, this is the Institute of Men podcast.